Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 18th of June 2022 Hong Kong Stories Podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. In November 2021, Hong Kong Stories was once again invited to perform at the Hong Kong International Literary Festival. Storytelling and literature are, of course, closely bound together, though they're not always the same. This week, as we listen to our first story and perspire graciously in our city, we'll be contemplating things that might seem the same but are very different in important ways, especially when it comes to clothing. After Aaron's story, we'll hear a story of mine, also about a disconnect in perception. Before we get to today's podcast, though, a huge and heartfelt thank you goes out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. We know things are hot out there right now, but we are listening. Thanks go out to our overseas listeners as well, in particular this week to listeners in Budapest and Hungary, Minato Mary in Japan, and Columbus, Ohio in the USA. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. Our live show with the theme of Reveal is coming up on the 29th of June. We are so very excited to be back up on stage again, this time at the very difficult to spell Macaulay Studio Theatre in the Hong Kong Art Centre in Wan Chai. Our tickets are available now through Eventbrite. Get yours before they're all gone. Links and information can be found on our website, hongkongstories.com. In recognition of their generosity and all-around awesomeness, we'd also like to highlight a sponsor from the Hong Kong Student Story Slam, Rebooked. Rebooked is a Hong Kong-based, non-profit social enterprise founded and managed by students. Their goal is to extend the shelf life of a book by providing a convenient and eco-friendly platform for books to be reused and enjoyed by other young readers. You can visit their physical bookstore at the first floor, 9 Milan Street in Central, or check out their books online at rebooked-hk.com. That's rebooked-hk.com. Now with the story from the 2021 Hong Kong International Literary Festival show, here is Erin. We were celebrating anti-drug week at my school, and I was at my teaching job, hi, <laughs> on painkillers. I just had abdominal surgery, and my surgeon's final words to me were, wear a girdle for a week, you know, to keep everything in place. <laughs> so I slapped on a Spanx, which is an under, uh, tight undergarment, and popped a couple more painkillers and went to work. Into my seventh grade classroom, I glided in a slight haze in a yellow, 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 white, and green tie-dyed hippie style skirt. Very appropriate for my elevated mood. The best thing about my skirt was the elastic waistband, which would adjust for my ever-changing size. It was at the final stretch of my first period class when my students were engaged in silent reading that I decided to pass back some papers. And so I was walking down the catwalk that I had created in the center of the room with 12 students on each side all facing me, but none of them were paying attention to me because they were all reading, with the exception of maybe red-haired Nick and freckle-faced Ethan, my two troublemakers, who were in the business of work avoidance and they were staring off into space. As I was passing back papers, I noticed a sudden paralysis overcoming the lower half of my body. 
When I tried to step to the right, I was prevented. And when I tried to step to the left, I wobbled. Was this a side effect of the medication? I couldn't understand what was going on. So in order to try and understand, I looked down and I saw my skirt in a defeated pile on the floor, wrapped around my ankles. The elastic band could not adjust to my newly spanxified shape, and it had fallen off my hips, leaving me exposed in my nude spanx, so like my own flesh tone that I must have looked like a life-size Barbie from the waist down. (laughs) Horrified, I leaned over, grabbed my skirt, yanked it back up, and then whipped my head up and around to see if anyone had noticed. Surely enough, red-haired Nick and freckle-faced Ethan were gawking, stunned at me. Of course it had to be those two. So I knew I only had two choices. The first was I could run out of the room sobbing, jump in my rickety Toyota Corolla, drive to the airport, move to Iceland, become a hermit, and hope this whole thing would disappear from my memory. The second was to pretend that this clothing malfunction was 100% normal. So I looked those two boys evenly in the eye. Then I called out to my class, hey, everybody, did you just see that? Everyone's head shot up from their books. What? And red-haired Nick and freckle-faced Ethan, their eyes still large, mouths turning into smirks, both started nodding their heads like bobble toys. (laughs) My skirt just fell off. Students gasped, giggled. What? Really? All the way? Yeah. Yeah, my skirt just fell onto the floor. But good thing you didn't see anything. At this, red-haired Nick and freckle-faced Ethan both began to shake their heads in a slow, no, they had definitely seen something. They had seen naked teacher. So I knew that I had to let them know what they had seen, which was nothing. Good thing I was wearing these nude color cycling shorts. My brilliant quick thinking shocked even me. With this, I lifted my skirt so I could expose the bottom edge of the Spanx, which I snapped joyously as some kind of lame exclamation point to show this was no big deal. And then I chuckled. And the students all burst into a frenzy of laughter, and red-haired Nick and freckle-faced Ethan began to tell everybody what they saw now that they knew it was perfectly fine to talk about. Meanwhile, I stood up front, frozen with a smile on my face, nodding and confirming every so often. (laughs) Bike shorts. (laughs) Yep, cycling shorts. (laughs) The bell rang, the students drained from my classroom, and it wasn't until I closed the door that I realized that my hand was still clutching the top edge of my skirt terrified that I was going to lose it again. So I took the top of my skirt and I tucked it down into my Spanx, hoping to avert another disaster. But I just knew that this story was going to spread like wildfire through the school, and I'd never live it down. But you know, those students, they never said anything. And after a few hours, I began to believe my own lie that it was perfectly normal to drop your skirt in class. And I went and told everyone myself. (laughs) 
We are glad that Aaron's lie didn't have any consequences beyond a brief embarrassment. Thanks for sharing that story, Aaron, and may all your elasticated waistbands in the future be stable. Erin made her great story even better by working with us at a workshop, and you can too. Our workshops will be starting as soon as we can tie down venues and hosts. Check the website for details at hongkongstories.com or email us at storieshongkong at gmail.com for details. Now a story of mine that was told not so long ago, but a time many, many years ago when I had a career in banking. Here is Rachel. Have you ever felt like you've been out of sync with everybody else? Like everybody's following this clear and present path and you're just floundering around and not sure what it is you're supposed to do next? Well, that was me. Coming out of four years of studying philosophy and dead languages, and I spent the years learning the nominative, vocative, accusative, dative, and, and genitive of ancient Greek and trying to figure out whether or not we existed when nobody was observing us. Uh, and I wasn't really sure what I was supposed to be doing. And so I was ready. I was really ready for a change. So I decided to become a banker. And so I applied for the graduate training program in retail banking and wealth management at HSBC in England. And I got in, and I was really excited. I was ready to face new challenges, to learn strategies of management and all about retail banking. And so I I got a banking haircut, (laughs) and I bought a banking suit, and I traded my sneakers for some slightly shiny black pointy banking shoes and I was ready to go. I had a name tag with the little red and white logo on the corner and it said retail banking manager trainee. (laughs) And you know what? I loved banking. I loved learning new stuff going through that procedural manual and figuring out banking strategies, learning about interest rates and learning about how to do loans and how to do credit scoring. I mean, it was different and new and something I'd never done before. So there I was, learning all these new things, enhancing my key skills with an eye towards senior management, And I was killing it. I was awesome. My lapels were adequately wide and my suit was ironed and my hair was perfect and my shoes were shined and I was amazing. I was inspiring coworkers. I was learning new strategies for coping with internal mechanisms and I was spending a lot of time on the internal computer figuring out the procedures. And then one day, about two years into my management training, there was a call from a branch down the road. Their bank manager was ill, and they needed somebody in a senior management position who could sign off on the counter staff's doings for the day. And there I was, my big break. I got my little car, and I drove down the road to this branch. And this branch 
it was in England, in Northern England, and uh, as somebody from Canada, it was adorable. <laughs> there was two counter positions and a senior management position. That was me. And I was called in to be the acting branch manager. So there I go. I introduce myself to the counter staff. They show me where I can sit in the office. I log on to the system, and I get down to business. Because I am in a predictable path now. I know exactly what's going to happen next. I am comfortable with what I'm doing. I'm on there. I'm on the system. I'm tipping away. Things are going really well during the day. People come in. They do their banking. They leave. I'm competent in the back. In fact, I'm more than competent. I'm amazing. <laughs> and then, just after lunch, outside the window of the office, I see a battered green Land Rover pull up. And there's two hunting dogs in the back, kind of sleeping, unconcerned. And it looks perfect for the sleepy little English village. Absolutely perfect. And then... This tall, lean man with a big nose and a slight beard climbs out, and he's wearing tweed. And it's like something out of an Agatha Christie novel, and I love it. And he goes up to the counter, and he's doing his banking, and he's clearly having a bit of a conversation with the counter staff. And then, as I was expecting by this time, because I know the procedures, the counter staff comes over to me and says, I think you need to deal with this as the acting branch manager. So I say, sir, very nice to meet you. Would you like to come into the interview room, please? And I open up the door to a tiny little interview room. And I lead him inside and I ask him to sit down. And he sits down and I say, sir, how can I help you? And he looks at me and he goes, your accent. Are you from the colonies? Now, this isn't as much of a non sequitur as you'd think because people often ask me if I was from the colonies when I lived in England. But, you know, take it in my stride, professional, calm, ready to go. Uh, yes, I'm from Canada. Um, what can I help you with today? Oh, is your father a, a corn man or a wheat man? Um, I'm a bit put off by this because this is not a question I've had before, but... I try and answer him in a respectable manner. Well, he's, he's, he's neither. He's, he's not a farmer. Uh, and he goes, oh, you mean he, he, he doesn't own land? Well, he does. But look, that's kind of beside the point. What can I help you with today? And so he takes a deep breath and he starts off. And he, well, you see, it's a bit of a tragic circumstance. You know, I've, I've uh, well, you see, my wife died two years ago. And I'm the executor of her estate, you see. And, and you see, um, I have this check, and I find myself embarrassingly short of money. And he goes on to explain how he's got this check, and he's a bit short of money, and he'd really appreciate if somehow I could, as the branch manager, just manage to cash his check for him so he'd have a little bit of spare cash for the end of the month. And he's going on and on about this, and I'm nodding sagely in an understanding way. And finally, I managed to break into his monologue and say, well, sir, I'd like to help you, uh, so could I please see the check? And he, he pulls out a billfold, 
and pulls the check out and hands me this, you know, rectangular square of paper folded in half and I unfold it. And as I unfold it, I can see on the top left-hand corner the blue and white logo of the Royal Bank of Scotland. Yeah. And so I ask him, do you have an account with us here at HSBC? And he says, well, no. Um, did your wife have an account with us at HSBC? Well, no, but a check's a check. Surely you can, surely you can cash that. I mean, obviously, it's, it's valid. Surely you can trust me. And I said, well, I'm so sorry, sir. I'm afraid that I can't help you. See, it's bank policy not to cash the checks of other banks unless you have an account with us. Oh. And he looks crestfallen. And after a few more pleasantries of, you know, the Bank of Scotland is just down the road, and if you go there, they might be able to help you, he gets up to leave. And I open the door for him, and I hold out my hand, and I say, Sir, it's been wonderful to meet you today. I really hope you find satisfaction at the Royal Bank of Scotland. And he reaches out to shake my hand, and as he does, he grasps my hand, and he pulls my arm towards him, and I just notice what's happening in time for me to turn my head, and he plants a big kiss on my cheek. And I'm sitting there, kind of stunned, because I had done all the right things. I am wearing the bank shoes. I have the bank hair. I'm wearing the bank suit. I have a name tag that says branch manager, acting. Nowhere in the procedure manual did it say that you should give your branch manager a smooch when leaving the interview room. And I should have been outraged. I probably should have been offended. But to be honest, I wasn't. I went back to the office wondering whether or not I existed when nobody was looking at me. And I logged on to the system, and I checked out the procedure for handing in my notice. Today's stories were brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell. <laughs>